Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 169, and we're going to be interviewing Michael. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. How about you? I'm very excited. All right, man. Let's rock and roll. So tell me about your childhood and growing up. All right. Childhood growing up. Um, on paper, I looked really, really well. Born into a blue-collar family. Mm-hmm. You know, middle class, decent home. You know, two sisters. Mom and dad stayed in the house. Didn't have to worry about divorce at that point in time. Um, I'm a little bit older, so it's before that phenomenon, that craze really started. Um, but, you know, even though things looked really, really well on paper, there was still a lot of turmoil underneath it. Um, I was born into an alcoholic family. My dad was an alcoholic. My mother's family was alcoholic. She drank, but maybe not to the point that I would say it was excessive. Um, she was more of a workaholic to try and avoid my dad, which uh, created some conflict i guess in the end um but with her working my dad held my responsibility a lot you know um, started off my childhood doing adult things i my dad would pick me up from am kindergarten and i'd be right along on the ride for his alcoholic behavior um in a bar by the time i was five you know up on the chair playing pool reading the reading the messages on the bathroom walls, things like that. Um, so I've been doing adult things from a very, very young age, um, which How created it. How did you feel at that, like, at that time when, because he says you were in kindergarten in the morning and then in the bar in the afternoon, like, and I, I thought I thought I was cool. My dad had friends, yeah. you know. Um, I was right there. They all knew my name. You know, I get free sodas. You know, yeah. people throw quarters to put in the jukebox, whatever the case may be. So I really <clears> felt <throat> like I was a part of something, um, which was going to take me kind of the next point where it, it really caused some conflict later on down the line in my life, um, in in the ways of acceptance, you know. And part of that was self imposed because I had been doing you know adult things for so long when it came to hanging out with other children I didn't really fit in because the sense of humor that I had been raised around was an adult sense of humor and the way to act was to be an adult and you know things like what you hear and see in one room were instilled from a very very young age um so there was a little bit of a a disconnect between other children of my age and um that would eventually lead to to me taking that first drink in time um really to just kind of fit in with a group that I probably didn't need to fit in with. Um, What kind of things uh, would that group be doing that you said that you shouldn't have been with them? Well, so, you know, um, as I said, I was raised in a blue collar family and ultimately we had, you know, the, the backyard barbecues. We're talking about the 1980s at this point in time. Um, It's been a while. And, but back then, families got together on the weekends. You could see a, a group of one union with another. They would have beer. There would be a keg. There would be a barbecue. There would be a, like a lamb or something on the on the roast. And, you know, I never really ran around with the kids that were playing around out there. It was my choice to try and find the ones that were a little bit older, um, you know, maybe teenage years. And, and around, I would say, somewhere around my nine, ninth birthday, nine years old, somewhere in there. Um, is when I I would make the choice to take my first active drink. And ultimately, it was only for the reason to just continue to be accepted by that older group. Um, In this case, it was at a barbecue, and it was to be a part of that adult crowd. 
I was tired of playing with the kids. They were boring. I wanted to be in there with the old men cussing and smoking cigars Mm -hmm. and, you know, having a good time. Uh, And that was my way to be in there was to become the beer runner, you know, so as, as any other child does, you go ahead and take that first sip while you're, you know, sneaking it back to the, to the table. Um, And that was, that was probably the very first time that I really got good and hammered. Um, But I didn't even realize it at that point in time. I just thought I was having a good time. You know, then you started being a beer runner. That was the first time. All right. Got you. Yeah. So, um, so none, none of the adults thought anything wrong with a nine-year-old drinking. I mean, did they recognize that you were drunk or no? Uh, I think there was a kind of backhanded recognition there. You know, um, they could tell that, that I was being a little bit sillier than normal. You know, um, what I do think you mean were, by a backhanded recognition? So I, I think <clears throat> it was noticed. And at the same time that it was noticed, nobody was going to say anything about it. But without encouraging it they encouraged it they kept asking me to go get more drinks you know um knowing what the result was happening between me filling it up and getting to them you know um cups were increasingly becoming less and less full by the time they got to them (laughs) you know um which you know like i said at the time for me you know being nine years old and being accepted into that room into that back porch where everybody was you know having a good time I just thought it was the right thing to be doing. And it was that welcoming portion, Um, you know, and, and that, that came with a lot of other things. As I said, on paper, everything looked good. So I had my parents in the house, but I didn't, as I said, my dad was an alcoholic and my mom was a workaholic. So vying for their attention was a really big thing for me as a child. So anytime I could find attention, it was the right thing to do. If that makes sense. Um, and, and situations like this only created a bigger hook for that, you know. Uh, so now I've found that alcohol works. I can, you know, let loose. I can be myself. I can make, you know, adults laugh. I can make them pay attention to me and, and show me, you know, any sort of affection, whether it even if it is just laughing at me, it still felt good because it was an attention that I had been seeking anyway. Um, that would continue, though you know, and, and only grow and become more and more progressive. You know, I went to a Catholic school for nine years, which was good. I have a great education because of it. Um, very intelligent, but there was an abrupt switch when I went into high school and went to public school. And now all of a sudden there's a whole new group of people that I don't fit in with. Um, and it's time to try and figure out how to fit in again and alcohol and, in short order drugs were a very easy way to fit in with some crowd and without having to put in much effort other than to just do them and be the result. Well, shorter, <clears throat> shorter drugs like marijuana and things like that. Yeah. It started with marijuana. Um, you know, the and how gateway. old were you when you, how old were you when you first started marijuana? Uh, would have been 13. <clears throat> mm. Within a year, it it didn't take long. Um, had already pushed the envelope into doing harder things, um, doing mushrooms. Uh, I think first time I did LSD was my sophomore year in high school. Um, started doing cocaine, um, crank, I guess what was considered real meth back in the days um, before it started getting cut with everything. And, uh, and this was all in high school? Yes, this is all in high school. This is all before the age of 16. No um, way. 
by the time I was 16, I was dealing all of the above, making trips from St. Louis to Vegas to buy pages of acid and bring it back, um, you know, and sell it one at a time. How long was that trip? Uh, from there, it's about a 23-hour trip. One way? One way. Which is 16. Wow. That's yeah. nothing, you know? That's yeah. just, hey, let's go and do it, man. We'll be back by Monday. Um, so, you know, running through that, that, that was a, a dark time in life. Um, Why it, was it a dark time? What was going on other so, than that? There's the coupling of alcohol and drugs and already, I don't want to say unstable, but compromised mental health situation, um, due to the, the small T trauma, you know, the lack of attraction and attention as a child, um, not feeling in place, having a low self-confidence level. It really left me in a position where I couldn't manage the feelings that I had inside of me. Um, I would attempt suicide my sophomore year in high school. Um, still not really sure how it didn't work. Um, what led you to that? What did you do? How did you try to kill yourself? So it, it was really just a matter of despair. Uh, I, I <clears throat> Through everything that I was doing, I still didn't feel like I fit in. Um I never felt like anything was enough. I mean, I, I played sports. I was on, you know, I was good at sports. We had teams that won. I was good in academics. You know, I had a group of friends um, that were around me, but at the same time, it was never enough. It always felt like I was striving to be something that I wasn't. And at one point in time, I just couldn't take it. So um had a few drinks just to numb the pain of what I was going to do. Um, not so much to have the courage to do it and slip both of my wrists, uh, laid down and, and fully expected to never wake up again uh, until the next morning came. And that was a big shock. Um, and, you know, so instantly so just got up. You actually slit your wrists. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. not to get too much into it, but I can't imagine. I don't know. I don't want to use the wrong word because I don't want to encourage it, but it sounds like you need a lot of strength and willpower to do that. Cause it is against like everything that we're, your body is meant to live. Yes. It's like, a, what, what do you call it? It's ingrained in you. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you're there's... going against uh, your primitive urges to live mm -hmm. and to do right. that. And that takes a lot of strength. I'm not giving anyone credit like, Oh, good for you. But I guess right. unless you could think of a better word, I don't know what word to use. Um, I don't know if strength is necessarily the word I would use, but desperation, you know, okay. um, it, there was such a, a feeling of despair in my life that it was never going to change and nothing was going to get any better. And I had done everything that I possibly could to impress everybody around me and find the right group of friends. And why did things not necessarily work for me the way they did for everybody else? And why was everything still kind of falling short? You know, I, I was done living that life. And at 15, I thought I had already lived the entire life I was going to live. Um, you know, so the despair was there and, and the willpower definitely to just end it. I mean, I didn't want to have to deal with it anymore. It, it was too much and I was ready to go. Um, you know, as I said, Fortunately, it, it didn't work out the way it had meant to. Um, I woke up the next morning to mom calling and telling me I was going to be late for school. And I get up and I look around at the entire mess that is my bedroom at that point in time um, and just get so dressed. And go. I, what did you pass out? And 
Yeah, so basically, um, once I had done the act of saluting my wrist, I just let my arms hang off the side of the bed and closed my eyes um, and, and accepted what was coming next, which assumedly was going to be death. Um, yet it didn't come. So woke up the next morning, um, confused, disoriented, um, definitely a little bit woozy, but just went ahead and got dressed and went to school because I didn't know what else to do at that point in time. So you had, had stopped bleeding at some point in the night? Yes. Yep. And what do they call it? You coagulated? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Everything coagulated and, and just, I, I survived. So that's amazing. Um, yeah. Went in, you know, still kind of oozing a little bit. I uh, put a sweater on, you know, and I refused to change for gym. Uh, at that point in time is when the, the coach had, noticed that there was something a little bit different going on and could see the blood stains on the sweater. So he asked to pull up my sleeves. And from there, it started a whole scenario of going to see the nurse, being admitted into the hospital, um, spending a couple of weeks in inpatient, uh, being treated for depression, suicidal tendencies and things like that. So you were in um, the mental health ward? Yes. Yep. Um, committed in there and then you know being placed on some antidepressants at that point in time zoloft was a big medicine um didn't really work for me i I looked more like a zombie than i did before i went in Uh, so that that took me off of the medicine altogether i wasn't going to take it because i didn't like the way it reacted to me probably the first time i ever said no to something i that made me altered um but i didn't like the zoloft so that led to years from there of untreated mental illness. Um, it would continue. So we'll kind of fast forward a little bit as we move, um, end up dropping out of high school with two months left in my senior year and just kind of moving into the workforce. Um, still drinking heavily, doing drugs, uh, had kind of tapered off all the the psychedelics and things like that and, and just layered it back to cocaine and marijuana and alcohol. Um, and would just kind of live in that fog for the next couple of years. Uh, eventually, I would turn, you know, 21, had met somebody during that time, and we got married really, really young. Um, Up in Taiwan, were you still living at home? Uh, yeah. Um, so my mom had left to go to Cincinnati for a job um, right before my senior year. And then dad remained behind to finish selling the house, um, which, you know, is kind of how the MO of all our life had been. It had always just been me and my drunken dad. Um, And then moved forward from there. uh, He went at the very end of my senior year, and then I was kind of on my own from 18 on. Um, I wasn't going to move to Cincinnati. I didn't know anybody there, and I surely wasn't going to try and find a whole new group to fit in with again because, you know, I was in a decent place, even though I was still using drugs and alcohol. Um, Were you scared? No, and and that's a weird thing. Um, We can talk about that portion of my, my mental part at some point, but I don't really feel those fears of the unknown. Um. I just take things as they come and it's a matter of having to get through it. You know, even 
in my recent sobriety and recovery. It's it's not a matter of being, oh my God, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? How is this going to work? It's just, this is what has to happen now. Um, so many failed attempts have come because I've been scared and worried, but I, I don't stress over that when there's a new project at work or anything else like that. It's not a matter of, can I do this? It's a matter of how do I need to do this? Um, I just had a different mindset for that kind of stuff. So I wasn't really scared being on my own at 18. Uh, I had a job, you know, I could afford rent and things like that. So um, I met somebody, we ended up getting married at the age of 20. Um, I turned 21 and quit doing drugs. I uh, joined the union myself. Cause what that made was you the, quit doing drugs? Uh, I joined the union. So you had So, it. yep. Yep. I became a union carpenter. Um, and so I stopped doing drugs, uh, started drinking more at that point in time, you know, with the justification that alcohol was at least legal. I can do that. I can go anywhere and buy alcohol. I can't go anywhere and buy drugs, you know, um, caused some issues between my wife and I, namely the fact that I stopped doing drugs and she started doing the Coke man, but that's a story for another situation. Um, you know, it, I was an alcoholic even then and a belligerent alcoholic so we didn't get along uh, married young at 20 divorced young at 21 uh, no kids or house or property to worry about at that point in time so it's almost just basically an annulment of that portion of my life um, much like the alcohol helps me forget it uh, the next few years would become a whirlwind um, between 21 and 24 i would live out of a bottle um, i had a cooler outside the back window of my little O2 Danger Ranger. Um, I'm just reach out. It's a little Ford Ranger. Um, I would just slide my hand out the back sliding glass and grab a beer out of the cooler. I mean, there wasn't a moment of the day that was going by that I wasn't drinking something. Um, I would rack up a total of 12 DUIs, three charges, um, and plead them all into one felony DUI charge. And that's over the course of three years. So if you kind of do the math, that's one every four months, basically. Um, you know, a lot of driving while suspended and you'd think the consequences would have caught up, but through all the time, I mean, I had a union job, so I had the money for a lawyer who was keeping me out of jail, keeping me with my license, you know, things like that. And so the consequences weren't really there. Um, eventually it did catch up and I had to plead guilty to the felony DUI, took some probation and, uh, did my probation. That's when I actually moved in with my parents again. So here we're 25, 26 years old, moved back in with my parents in Northern Kentucky, the middle of nowhere. Um, no friends, nothing to really go by. I'd already burnt most of the bridges I had left behind. So it's not like I had anybody to really call up and talk to anyway. Uh, took a little crappy carpenter job out there and uh, mom or dad, one of them would get up in the morning and take me to this gas station where the guy would pick me up and you know every afternoon he'd drop me off and it wasn't long before he was dropping me off and you know I would say oh no mom I'll just wait for you to get off work which was an extra hour well there's a reason why I was waiting that extra hour it's because you know tall boys fit really really well inside styrofoam cups and um could sit there and just drink peacefully for an hour and then you know the six packs the 12 packs are coming home now I'm spending you know the entire evening doing nothing but drinking, going to work, drinking, going to work, drinking. 
uh, and not really advancing my life anymore. And, and, you know, we're, we're doing this for the next three years while I'm trying to work on the state of Illinois to give me my driver's license back. Why? So you said you were a belligerent drunk. What kind of things would you do? Um, so I would be fine through the most part, but if there was a confrontation, if there was a point in time when I was told that I needed to quit or anything else like that, I'd become very argumentative. Um, my point had to be the one that was right. Uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily the violent kind of belligerent drunk that wouldn't run around, you know, punching holes in the walls or anything else like that. I mean, I have made my fair share of them. Um, but it wasn't a regular offense. You know, to me, it was, it was, I'm cocky. It's my way or the highway. And if you don't like it, then go somewhere else. Um, and, and that's where my belligerence lies. Um, growing up in a union family, I have a very good vocabulary. So, and letting the cuss words fly is, is not a hard thing for me. Um, <laughs> and we'll definitely tell somebody what I think about them. You know, um, that would sustain me through the rest of my twenties, you know, um, just drinking and going to work in my parents' basement, you know, um, hating my life every minute of it, but not wanting to do anything to change it at that point in time, doing AA meetings because they're court mandated, you know, doing IOP because I really want my license back so I can have my own freedom back. Um, because that's going to change everything. When I have that license back, I'm going to have the life back that I always knew I could have. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the case I would find out later. Uh, I would eventually move back to Illinois because they wouldn't release my license out of state. I would come back here, do the things that I needed to to get the license back, and in the process, um, just fall right back into the same patterns. You know, I'd join up to the pool league, the dart league, you know, um, horseshoes. Anything that was a bar sport was a great excuse for me to do because it allowed me to socially be at a bar and not have to, you know, worry about, oh, my God, you're at the bar every night. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm shooting darts. I'm playing pool. You know, I'm on a league. I have to be at this bar. You know? Isn't it amazing the way we think like that's yeah. normal? And yeah. we, we try to convince someone else. Oh, no. What are you talking about? Make them feel like they're crazy. Right. right. I mean, like, where else would you play darts? your basement i mean yeah so um that that would you know we'd i that was my life i i would just have fun doing that but in the same time i was miserable the whole time deep inside i knew it yeah you know downside it 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 wasn't the life i wanted there were still those same complaints and everything was all woe is me and why is it happening to me and and why can't this happen for me when it does for everybody else um that constant comparison would you know put me into states of depression and then i would drink my way out of them into them out of them into them you know um the the cycle that kind of runs through all of that and eventually i would find a point in time where it didn't work for me anymore. Now I'm just drinking to, to stay sane in a sense. Um, started drinking, you know, at lunch. It's, you know, it was the next logical step, you know, maybe not for a union carpenter running up and down ladders and playing on roofs. Uh, eventually that would all catch up to me and I'd fall off a roof and blow out my knees. Um, And you have to make up a major life decision at that point in time. Do I want to try and continue the next 37 years of my life as a union carpenter 
Uh, my knees are already shot. Back hurts. You know, I'm only 33 at this point in time, you know, um, or do I want to change course? So with the grace of God and the love of my parents, uh, they allowed me to go back to school. Um, they helped me with some bills from time to time, but I still chose to be the strong-willed person and take it all on myself because I had done this to myself and I'm going to do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. Um, Went back to school, knocked out an associates in the course of 18 months, 3.93 GPA, uh, worked a full-time job and never spent a moment of it sober. Um, Went back into computers, was able to quickly make a career in there, did a couple of jobs here and there just to get my feet wet and opened up my own managed services company, which basically is a uh, tech department for companies that can't afford one, you know, um, we become the IT department and take care of all the needs at the fraction of the cost it would take to hire one person. Uh, that only led to money and time and freedom and more time to drink and more DUIs to rack up. And um, eventually I would score three more DUIs uh, by the time I was 37. Uh, and the law was done with me and I would be sentenced to prison. Um, at Menard State Penitentiary in Illinois. Went down there, uh, did 18 Whoa. months. Yeah. That must have been, uh, that is one of my worst fears because, I mean, I, I have mental health issues like bipolar, OCD, ADHD. So I can't imagine being locked up with that, with dude me mentally. I honestly don't think I know I would make it. They would probably put me in some type of mental order. I don't know. Because yeah. I don't think I could make it. It's, it's different. Um, it was eye-opening to an extent. Uh, at the same time, you know, um, it's just a bunch of guys hanging out because they got nothing else to do. Yeah. You know, um, so there was, there was a couple of different things that happened. I spent 18 months of a three-year sentence inside uh, medium security and spent the first few months just hating it. I couldn't understand why I was there for something as simple as DUI. I had never crashed my vehicle. I had never hurt anybody. I'd never done anything. But again, um, I was a menace to society. There was nothing that was going to stop me from drinking while I was driving. I mean, it was, it just, it was the way of my world. Um, so I understand it now, but at the time I was angry and, and was hurt. Um, you know, Past that point, then it just kind of became, okay, let me see if I can't do something to grow a little bit. You know, so you start involving yourself with different organizations. There's AA inside, you know, and, and I would go to a few meetings of that here and there, you know, try to hit church, but none of it felt real. You know, I still didn't really care. There was still that desire for alcohol outside of that. Um, so I even, guess in just, prison, even in prison, you were drink, you were uh, thinking about drinking? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was still there, um, you know, but I was thinking about not. I guess I need to rewind a little bit. Um, in between that time, uh, I had found somebody and had had a couple of children. So I had two really young children, um, well, three and one and a half on the outside waiting for me to come out. Um, and that was probably one of the more painful things about it is being away from them and missing out on so much of their younger childhood. Um, I say that because now I'm out here in California doing the things that I'm doing to try and stay sober and get right and be a better role model for them. And yet 
they're still in St. Louis. Um, so I'm out here doing this alone without them again. But um, back to the whole, you know, prison, there's the evolution kind of runs through after you're done trying to make yourself better because it just doesn't feel like it's getting you anywhere. You're not getting any time knocked off. You're not, you know, going to go anywhere anytime soon. You just fall in line with everybody else. And, you know, once you start falling in line, you start doing the things that you know inherently you shouldn't be doing, you know, um, drinking, making, drinking hooch, you know running stores out of your cell, different things like that, you know, breaking the rules, breaking, you know. What's running stores out of your cell? Um, so basically, you get an allowance each month, and some people can get money put on their books and things like that. Um, ultimately, though, when you go to commissary, you can only buy a certain amount of certain things so that everybody has a chance to get them. Um, what a store allows you to do is to basically borrow against what you're going to buy the next week. Uh, typically at exchange rate of two to one or three for two. Um, so I would keep extra things such as sodas, bags of chips, things that I didn't even really worry about, um, only to loan them out so that I could then get double my money back basically. So, uh, essentially I turned into a dealer on the inside, you know, when it came to food and, you know, different essentials that you would need. Um, got away with it so that doesn't help with the whole consequence thing um i would eventually come out of prison spend a few months sober you know playing the game i guess you know trying to be the best dad keep the 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 baby mama happy keep her in my life you know find work all that kind of stuff um and and do well for a little bit and string together some sobriety but eventually it was all dry sobriety. There was no meetings. There was no program. There was no community. There was no, you know, support other than just the love of my family, hoping that it stuck. Um, but it wasn't enough. There was still that itch at the back of my head, just always sitting there saying, you know, all these feelings of inadequacy that you're feeling, um, all this, this depression, I can cure that. I'm alcohol. You know, I've been there for you all this time. Um, and that's that mental obsession that we all have, have felt it it will lie to you and promise you the things that you cannot gain through being under the influence of drugs or alcohol um but we let ourselves believe that and in fact um it's been medically proven that our brains get rewired to that and in, into the deepest parts of our brain you know our survival instincts have actually been changed to need that dopamine rush from what the alcohol or drugs provides as opposed exactly. to as opposed to finding you know real sustainable dopamine through normal life situations. The reason we go through that heavy craving is, um, so your brain obviously produces dopamine. When you continually use a drug, you're giving your brain a big release of dopamine. So your brain then says, I don't need to produce this anymore because you're giving it to me. So you continue to get high and high. And then one day you stop and your brain's like, whoa, 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 I need dopamine you need to go yeah. find it and that's when that urge takes over because your mm -hmm. brain says i need it and you're supposed to give it to me what's going on yeah yeah and then, and then you get the urge yep and then you get the withdrawals and the dts and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff if you if you fight it long enough you know and so you know i had fallen into that part i've at this point have long ago falling into the knowledge that I was an alcoholic and that I was probably going to live the rest of my life this way. And that was just 
my lot in life. Nothing had gone right for me so far. Why was it ever going to change? Um, you know, I, I was still able to find some good jobs. I was still pretty functioning at this point in time. Um, you know, even without a license, I'm able to get through to work, you know, via public transportation and things like that. And I'm a network admin for a pretty high profile company and things are going good. But let me go ahead and, you know, get this shot before I jump on the train because, you know, I, I, why not? I deserve it. You know? A shot of what? Uh, fireball is my choice. Um, oh, you mean like taking a shot? I thought maybe. Yeah. Oh no, no. Um, no, that's one I never really messed with. Were the intravenous drugs? I just, I, I couldn't. Uh, it wasn't for me. Yeah, I'm not a big needle fan. So, um, you know, I it started one day with just a shot of Fireball before I got on the train. Um, worked its way up to two or three, then a half pint on the train, then a half pint on the train, and another one for the bus. You know, and then it's getting off the bus to stop early. Then it's accidentally missing my bus. You know, um so that I had to wait an hour for the next one, uh, different things like that. And then the progressive order of our disease became what it was. And within six months, I was already back to drinking, you know, two bottles of wine a night or, you know, starting at 630 in the morning with a couple of shots of fireball, making my way through work steadily, just kind of dosing with those single shots or double shots. And then by the time I was off work, we were hot and heavy into a full pint of fireball. Um, you know, hey, let's supplement that with a couple of single bottles of margarita or, you know, let's grab a tall can today because I feel like beer. Oh, I'm cooking steak tonight. I need to get a bottle of wine, but not just any bottle of wine. Let me get that $8.88 bottle of Robert Mondavi that like looks like a fucking cartoon bottle of wine. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I used to do uh, the same thing. More, more yeah. bang for your buck. More yeah. I mean, yeah. more alcohol. That's all that matters. Right. You know, finish that and still be looking, you know, um, Another, my my MO at the end was the sleeves. I would have originally get sleeves of fireball, which is, I think, 12 mm-hmm. shots. Yeah. Classic sleeve or it's 10 or 12. I forget. Right. I don't want to exaggerate, but it's 10 or 12. And that eventually turned into what was it? Jim Bean. Because mm. I found out they had like apple and peach flavor. So I was like, I right. can do that. And that's strong. At least in my mind, I thought it was stronger. Yeah, right. That, I, that was my thing at the end. I, I love alcohol. Yeah, and and I never understood, you know. So it, it's it's a money thing if you want to think about it that way. But to me, it, it was funny to me that I knew the benefit of buying the half pint or the pint and saving money, but I would still buy three double shots because they were easier to hide in my pocket. Yeah, you know, trying to hide it, you got to do that. And and that's exactly where it was. I would go on hiding this, you know, um, when I first entered into, well, okay, so let me retract that a little bit. Um, eventually, this pattern would lead me to a point in time where I got mugged. Um, I'd gotten off the bus early, went into the liquor store that I always went into, missed the bus on the way through, and I'm like, shit, now what am I going to do? Um, saw this guy that I had seen nearly daily at this gas station, and um it's like, hey, man, I know you head that way. Is there any way I can catch a ride with you? Just get me up to the next bus stop and we'll be good. He's like, yeah, man, I got you. I got you. So I jump on the truck um, and immediately I knew I was in trouble when he turned the wrong way, leaving out of there. I'm like, hey, bro, we got to go that way. He's like, dude, you just jumped in the wrong truck. And um, from there, took me for two laptops, my work bag, um, 
everything that I had in my wallet, everything I had in my pockets and still wasn't going to stop the vehicle. I ended up jumping from the vehicle at about 30 miles an hour rolling. Um, that was the last memory until I come to on the train about four hours later in an area of town that I don't, I don't even know why I would have been traveling that direction. Um, but the point in time between then and then it's just gone. So I don't know what happened between then and there. Um, that was my first real wake up call that there was something seriously wrong with my alcoholism. Uh, I chose to enter into a detox and too much to everybody's surprise. They didn't think my drinking was that bad. I'm like, I, I couldn't have been that good at hiding it. Not that good to where I'm this fucked up all the time. And you can't notice that. But anyway, so, um, do the whole detox thing in like three days, you know, basically all it was was a little mini vacation to save me from losing my job because I just had two of their laptops stolen and, uh, my ride was late picking me up. So, you know, late picking me up, guess what? The gas station's closer than you are. And here I am fresh out of detox and buzzed as hell. Um, you know, went right back into it. So that three, like I said, it became a three day vacation from alcohol with a little bit of extra drugs pumped into me. Um, Moved on from there, you know, made it another couple of months. That was in September, um, November of that year. I had done something that I hadn't done for quite a while, and that was spent some time in a bar, um, three days to be exact. Not just one, but anyone that wasn't kicking me out at that point in time. Uh, I would go, I would walk in with a straight face and a straight walk, have a few drinks, fall out of my bar, still get kicked out, sober up on the walk to the next bar. Walk in there, straight face, straight walk, have a few drinks, fall out of my bar stool and continue that for about three days. Um, my wife at that point in time gave me an ultimatum to, to get something fixed or she was going to leave. And so I came out here to California the first time in November of 2021 um, and went to a, a place up in the mountains. And man, it was it was great. I learned so much while I was up there. I mean, I got cured. 30 days baby i was cured i'm going back <laughs> home i'm gonna fix everything yeah. make it all work this time you know um get back you know things are going good for about a week and then life happens you know i lose the job i expected i was gonna lose things didn't get any better between my wife and i um and i wasn't fitting in with any of the aas or anything else like that around town i didn't i hated the town to begin with you know um so I went back out, started drinking again. Uh, this time it only took me about two weeks, so and, and I knew I had to make another change. So um, I came back out to California to the same place because I really had found a message there that I liked. And during that time, um, stayed connected with my children, had some serious talks with the, the wife, and we decided that we were probably going to call it ends. So um, I stayed out here in San Diego. Went to a sober living for 90 days to give myself a little bit extra time, um, really get connected into a community and do what I could. Uh, from there, I found this amazing job that I have right now. Um, it's, I love it. My boss has 26 years sober. Our top salesman has 28 years sober. Um, there's me coming along with this measly little six months at this point, a little over six months. But um, 
you know, there's something I found different in this run at sobriety. And I don't even call it sobriety this time anymore. I just call it recovery because it's exactly what I'm doing. I'm recovering from a lifetime of just shit and self-wallow and misery. And, you know, this time there's a different feeling to it because it's not me doing all the work. It's I, I rely on the people around me. I rely on, you know, I'll bring it into it, the higher power that is, you know, keeping an eye on me. I should be dead with everything that I've done. Um, you know, I haven't OD'd on drugs. I haven't had to push Narcan. I haven't done that. But for the countless numbers, thousands of times, and I can say thousands of times, I drove drunk. Not just buzz, but drunk. There's no reason that I should be on this earth other than something else watching out for me. Um, so at this point in time, I've just kind of given it all to him and, and see where my life will go um, and do things like this just to share that message because, you know, I, I don't know if I would have heard my story 20 years ago, it would have made a difference. But I'm hoping that somebody out there now, you know, 20 years old, 25 years old, you know, 45 years old, I don't care if you're listening to this and you feel any kind of connection to what I've said. It, it, life's a lot better on this side of the fence. I, I mean, I can be real honest in saying that, you know, I have feelings. They suck. They hurt. I laugh. I cry, you know, but I get to have them now. And that's a big difference for me. Um, I'm no longer just shoving them down. So uh, I'm truly enjoying where things are at this point in time. And, and I hope it continues. Thank you for that. There's a, a wonderful story you got there mm, about, you. you know, everything you've been through and how you recovered. So let me ask you one last question. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Um, you know, if I have any advice, talk to somebody would be the first step. Um, talk to them and, and really let go of what you're feeling. And listen to your own words as you do that. And, and my second step is if you think you may be an addict or an alcoholic, you know, try to control it. If you can have two beers and then stop and not drive yourself crazy trying to get that next one, you might not be an alcoholic. But odds are you are. And then when you are, be strong enough to admit it and seek help. Um, we can't do this on our own. I, I would have never been able to do it on my own. I tried for 30 plus years. And, you know, when I finally gave in and asked for help and accepted that help, that's when things started to change. Okay, that was great advice. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? Mm. No, I think that's it. think that's it? Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you doing this today. How do you feel? feel good. Feel good? It's, it's good to share. And, and, you know, I'm pretty open with my recovery. And I feel it helps me to talk about it. And I hope it helps other people as well. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, I like doing because people have reached out to me and said that, you know, they relate to some of the stories and, you know, thank me for doing this. So it definitely reaches people and hopefully your story reaches somebody and helps them. Like you said, yeah. I think it will. 
Just, you know, it'll be on the internet for a long time to come. <laughs> yeah, forever, they say. Yep, once you put it on there, somebody will be able to find it one day. But no, I really, again, I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Hey, no problem. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Jim. No problem. So sit tight for me for just a moment. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I also suggest checking out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you can find plenty of resources as well as free literature. Once again, I hope you enjoyed today and until next time.